Father, I just thank you for how you lead in our lives. And I thank you that you promised to be here when we asked you to be. We thank you for filling this room with your presence. And Lord, just uh, pray for you to put your words in my mouth. Help me to share about you in the way you want. I thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> the handout, we'll look at it in a little, little bit, but not right away here. Um, what, what is it that we're commanded the most in Scripture to do? Huh? Love? If you, if you go through and count it, do you know what we're commanded the most to do? If you go through and count it, what I found is praise. Thanksgiving is what we're told to do. And yeah, you, and you know the scriptures like Psalms 103 and Psalms 104 that talk about to glory in his name. You know what it's like to glory in God's name? I don't totally understand that all. I'm beginning to learn that. But one time a friend of mine, my husband and I had talked um, somewhere and we shared a little bit about praising God. And afterwards this friend came up. She said, you know, what is the big deal? God knows I love him and I know that he loves me. Why waste all this time with praise and thanksgiving? You know, in the last few years we've heard more about it than we used to. And I didn't really have an answer for her. She said, why not just get down to that laundry list, those wants, those needs, and be done with it? And so I, I didn't really have an answer for her right then. But as I thought and prayed about it for the next several weeks, what came back to my mind was the first year that Jerry and I were married. We'd been married, I think, probably seven or eight months. And one day I was busy. It was a Sunday, trying to get the laundry done before the, the new week began. And as I'm doing that laundry... Jerry comes up to me and he says, Janet, can't you tell me once in a while that you love me? And I looked at him. I said, what do you mean love you? I married you, didn't I? <laughs> of course I love you. And he said, but, but I need to hear. And, you know, I'm busy putting this laundry away and he's following me. He says, but I need to hear once in a while that you love me. I, I need to hear nice things, how you feel about me. I said, look, Jerry, I married you. If it changes, I'll let you know. And I thought, you know, this, this guy's good looking. Start telling him how great he is and get conceited. Who knows what could happen? And I just kept on putting the laundry away. Well, he wouldn't leave me alone with this for some time after that. He kept bugging me about it. That he says, I need to hear how you feel. And so I read some of these books on marriage and found out that it really can be important to your mate that you let him know you love him. You may think you may want to leave right now. <laughs> that I didn't realize that, but that it was really important. So I started trying to do that. And it was hard for me at first. But do you know that, that what happened as I told Jerry how much I loved him and would tell him nice things about him? What happened was as much as I loved Jerry, my love for him just grew. It just increased. And it made me realize, wow, I really got a great guy here, even better than I realized. And it also made me realize how much he loved me. And it made me want to do nice things for him. And as I thought back to that first year I was married, I thought, that is why I need to take time, spend time adoring my God, worshiping my God, praising my God. It's not that he's got some big ego that needs to be stroked, but it's for my benefit. I'm the one that's blessed as I do that. I realize how much God loves me and that he is doing all he can in this world, you know, to bless my life. And it makes me want to do good things for God. It makes me want to be obedient to him. I, a lot of times we get into thanksgiving, but there's so much to praise God for about his character as you study scripture, just his redemption, his sustaining powers, just for the wonderful God that he is. Um, do you know how to have God's presence with you throughout the day? Psalms 22, 3 says, Thou art holy, O thou that inhabits the praises of Israel. If we want God's presence with us throughout the day, all day long, continually be praising Him, giving Him thanksgiving. And I don't know how it is for you, but um, I don't know if you ever ask God to wake you up in the morning. I had heard my son when he was a teenager tell somebody, Don't do it because he'll do it and it'll be early. And but sometimes when God wakes me up, I don't want to get up. You know, the day before has been bad. Things have gone wrong. You know, I'm not feeling good, whatever it is. And the last thing I want to do is praise God this morning or give him Thanksgiving. You know, all I want to do is tell him about all my problems. And that's what I love about the Psalms. Because God doesn't expect us to be like a Pollyanna that just comes to him and says, oh, everything's just great and wonderful. No, he wants us to come and pour our hearts out to him. 
In Psalm 62, 8, it says, Trust in Him at all times, O people. Pour out your hearts before Him, for God is your refuge. I don't know how it is for you, but if I don't, if I don't open up to God what's on my heart, there's a wall of separation that comes up between God and I. Now, what's the big deal? God knows what I'm thinking, right? He knows what's in my heart. Why do I have to tell Him? I don't know. All I know is if I don't do it, and it's happened to me over and over, if I don't do it, there's a wall that'll come up between God and I. And I mean, what's the point? Go telling God, you know, I don't like Sally. He'll just tell me to go love her, right? I don't want to do that. He'll just make me do that. Or, what, you know, I don't want to tell God I'm angry at him for what's happened because he's God. He's going to strike me with lightning. But no, God's word is that we are to pour our hearts out to him. And the more we pour our hearts out to him, the more it unleashes his power in our lives to work. In, um, you read the Psalms, every emotion is there from joy to hatred to jealousy to grief, anger, depression, everything's there. And the more I take the Psalms and meditate on the Psalms, even pray them back, you know, sometimes when I wake up and I don't feel like praising God this morning, I don't have the words. I'm in so much grief over what has happened. If I take the Psalms and start using the words of the writer and pray those back to God using the words in the Psalm, what a difference it makes. It's amazing how God's peace and joy comes over me as I do that. And I know that may sound boring to do that, but it's life-changing. It is life-changing what it'll do. But there, there are, are many Psalms that we don't hear preachers talking about, like uh, Psalm 44, 23, 24 says, Arouse yourself. Why do you sleep, O God? Psalm 13, 1, How long, O Lord, will you forget forever? Psalm 137, 9 says, How blessed will be the one who seizes and dashes your little ones against the rock. I mean, that's in God's word. Psalm 109, 8 through 12, it says, Let his days be few, let his children be fatherless, and his wife a widow. Let his children wander and beg. And another place it says, Make his house into a dunghill. There's such open honesty there in the relationship with God. But over and over again, after they poured out their heart to God, they turn around and come back to, and yet I will praise you. In Psalms 42, talks, he's complaining, you know, he's pouring out his grief to God, and he says, and yet I will remember what you did on Mount Harmon. I will praise you for what you have done. And the one place, though, that's really helped me is Psalm 77. Because when, they, when things are really bad, they're so bad, you don't know what to do. And you're wondering, is God alive? Is, is he working in my life? Does he care about me? I mean, have you ever experienced that? Hi. ASI. <laughs> yeah. um, maybe none of you ever feel that way? No? Well, <clears throat> you turn to Psalm 77, and this just, years ago when I read this, gave me such help. It says, I, verse 1, I cried out to God with my voice, to God with my voice, and he gave ear to me. In the day of my trouble, I sought the Lord. He hand, his, my hand was stretched out in the night without ceasing. My soul refused to be comforted. I remembered God and was troubled. I complained and my spirit was overwhelmed. You hold my eyelids open. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. Have you felt like that? I have considered the days of old, the years of ancient times. I called to remembrance my song in the night. I meditate within my heart and my spirit makes diligent search. Verse 7. Will the Lord cast off forever? Will he, will he be favorable no more? Have you felt like that? Will he be favorable no more? Has his mercy ceased forever? Has his promise failed forevermore? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his tender mercies? Have any of you felt that way? I have felt that way a lot. But down in verse 10 and 11, it gives the answer of what to do when you're feeling like that. It says, and I said, this is my anguish, but I will remember the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the works of the Lord. Surely I will remember your wonders of old. I will meditate on all your works and talk of your deeds. When things are going really bad and you're wondering, does God exist? Does he care about me? Is, you know, is he alive? Is he sleeping? Remember what God has done in the past. One of the things that has helped so much for my husband and I to be able to do that is keeping a journal. How many of you journal? Do you, you journal your prayers at all? Some of you do? Um, I don't tend always do it every day, but when life is really heavy and there's burdens, 
or God speaking to me in certain ways, you know, I'll start writing it down. But to come back and, like, if you're writing those requests, write the answers somehow in red or something in the margin. That, that becomes such a blessing because when you've you're got that trial, that heavy problem on you, and you don't feel like God's there, He's not answering, you're wondering why. If you take out your journal and literally start thanking God, praising Him for how He's worked in the past. Lord, I want to thank you and praise you for what you did in August, 20, August 28, 19, whatever. Lord, praise you for what you did there. Thank you for how you showed your mercy in my life. Father, remember what you did in October of such and such a year or whenever it was. I know that may sound boring to do that and think, ah, what good does that do? But I'm telling you what, it will fill you with his faith and his power. It just unleashes something in you. And you come out of that time empowered to believe and know that God is working in your life. Now, you may be thinking, well, I don't have a journal. And you have a bad memory. Does that happen with young people? Not usually. <laughs> people my age, it does. But, but you know, I, don't, I can't believe how many teenagers I've met that are not sure if God exists, that he hasn't rebuilt himself in their lives. And it isn't that. God has. Nobody's reminded them of the way he's worked with their children. It is so important someday when you have kids to continually bring that before them. You do that, they're not going to walk away when they're teenagers. Um, but if you don't have a journal and you can't remember how God's worked, take your Bible and start praising and thanking him for the stories in God's word of how he parted the Red Sea at the last minute, right before the children of Israel, you know, about to get slaughtered by the, the Egyptians. And Joseph, the whole story of Joseph and what he went through, it looked horrible. It was terrible what he's going through, and yet it was a perfect plan to save the children of Israel. Daniel and the lion's den. Jesus on the cross dying for us to take those chapters in, in the last few pages of each of the Gospels and just meditate on those and pray those. Thank God for what he did for you on that cross. I know that may not sound that interesting, but it's life-changing what will happen as you do that with it. And again, in Psalm 144, it not Psalm 144, Psalm 145, it talks about there. And in one version, it says to speak to extol, to celebrate the things God has done in your life. When my kids were little, and we'd have family worships, and I thought, you know, something's wrong. I couldn't figure out what, what the problem was. And then what, reading Psalm 78 and Psalm 145 helped me to see what the problem was. We weren't praising. We weren't giving thanksgiving in our worship times. Our worship times were, you know, read a, a Bible story to the kids, but then we would, Lord, help my son make an A in math. God, please do this. Lord, do that. We, we need a new house, God. Uh, Father, so-and-so is sick. Would you please heal him? In Jesus' name, amen. And we'd go to bed. <laughs> and, but after reading Psalm 78, Psalms 145, it, it says to the next generation, speak, tell, celebrate the things God has done. We started doing that with our kids. We started spending the time in prayer of, Lord, thank you that we made it home safe today. Thank you that we have two legs that work, ears that hear, and eyes that see. Thank you we got a roof overhead. Thank you we had food tonight to eat. Thank you we've got each other. Do you know what that did with my kids? Instead of them growing up wanting, wanting, because we're poor, don't, can't give them everything, they were so grateful for the small things they had in life. What a difference it made for them and with us and just turned our whole prayer time around in, in what God wants to do in our lives. But you know those scriptures, like James 1, 2, says, Consider it pure joy. Another version, count it all joy. My brethren, when you encounter various trials. Or, or Philippians 4, 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Do you hear what I said? Always? I want you to think about this last week. Did you rejoice always? Did you count it pure joy? Katie, did you? Huh? <laughs> count it pure joy. Or 1 Thessalonians 5, 18, give thanks in all circumstances. All circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 5.20, always giving thanks for all things. I'm telling you, when I first came across those, reading those, I thought, ah, that's for somebody else. Paul and James are crazy. Uh-uh. You know, I, no, I'm not going to do that. Praise and thank him for the trials, the problems in my life. That's nuts. You know, surely it's not translated right, something. But I decided to try it one time. I had, um, we, we had uh, owned a home and the, I don't know, prices went 
the interest rates went way down and we had got a high interest rate, kind of like what's happened here in the last year with people. And we couldn't sell the place. Finally, we did sell the place, but it sold for the, the value, or it sold for the amount we had paid for it. But we had a realtor, so that left us paying a huge realtor's fee. So for the next year or so, we were still paying on that house. And that meant we, the next place we moved to, we had to live in rentals. And sometimes in rentals, you got to move once a year because they either sell the place, something happens, and you keep moving. So our big prayer request was, Lord, we're thankful we have a roof over our heads, but God, would you please give us a home that we don't have to keep moving? And do you know God did? It was a miracle what happened, incredible miracle. And this house, I got to see it built. I got to help make the blueprints. No, I didn't make the blueprints, but you know, the plan, but pray over every detail of it. I thought, wow. This house is going to be just perfect. I'm getting to pray over every detail of that house. But do you know when we moved into that house, everything wasn't done right? But I determined, you know, I'm not going to complain. I'm not going to let it bother me because God had literally provided this home. And I don't want to kick him in the teeth, you know, for what he's done. So I tried to, you know, be quiet about it, didn't talk about it. And one morning as I was getting up to spend that time with God, I like to ask God, just how can I praise you this morning? Sometimes he'll lead me to some particular chapter or scripture in the, you know, verse in the Bible. Well, that morning it was Psalm 8. And it begins, you know, they made a song out of it. Oh, how majestic is my name. And it was just like, you just sense God saying, and I don't hear voices, but just that impression in your mind was, look at what I've done for you in, in, with this home. Praise me. Give me Thanksgiving for it. And I'm going, well, I want to. But, you know, I'd been living there three weeks now. Things were just eating away at me. And I said, why, God, did you let some of these things be done wrong? I prayed over every detail of this place. And there was just silence, nothing, except what came to mind was counted all joy, rejoice in the Lord always. So I thought, hmm, that's what I'm supposed to do. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do that. I'm going to really do that. And I got out a, a notepad, eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper, and I started writing on it. Dear Father in heaven, I choose to praise you for the stupid windows the builder put in the living room. They were the wrong ones. And I said, I choose to praise you for this wall over here. I didn't want that wall there. He put it in the wrong place. And God, I, choose to, I just you know, started covering everything about the house that was negative. And I got on such a roll, I decided I'm just going to cover my whole life. And just, you know, I ended up filling an eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper, which was very embarrassing that I had that much negative to put it on that page. But do you know what happened to me? after I'd written that all down, came to the very end of it, I had such a peace and a joy come over me. I just wanted to be in his presence. I just wanted to be with God. I didn't care anymore about anything on that page. But I was embarrassed because I had filled a whole page and I turned it over and started trying to write things positive that I could thank him for and praise him for. I could only fill a half a page. It was embarrassing. But it, it really, once again, I had known from the past, but it once again reminded me of how important it is that I do that in, in, with God. I, how many of you have a prayer partner? Do you have somebody you pray with once a week? Oh, I hope, I hope, I hope you will pray that God will lead you to someone to pray with at least once a week. I'm telling you, there is more power in praying together. And it's exciting what can happen. Because of that, that I tend to have a lot of prayer partners from, from young to old people. And this one day I went over to this one prayer partner's house. We were meeting to pray. Come on in. Don't worry. Everybody's just looking at you, staring at you, but it's okay. Take a hand out. Thank you. You're welcome. And I went to this one prayer partner's home, and she and her husband had had a bad fight the night before. And I did something I'd encourage you never to do. I tend to learn everything the hard way. That is, I started saying, praise the Lord for this problem. That just does not go over good. In Proverbs, it says doing that is like putting vinegar on the wounds. You know, it, it hurts. But anyway, we prayed together. We prayed about her marriage, her whole problem. And I went home thinking, oh, I've really helped this woman. And I'm driving home thinking about my day. Now, I had everything scheduled out that I needed to get done. Now, we had run out of uh, bread at our house. And my family, we pretty much live on bread because I'm not that great a cook. And, but I had saved up money to buy one of these machines. It's called a Bosch and, and a mill. You grind the wheat and you put all these ingredients in this bowl and you're able to make bread. 
I hadn't had it too long. I'd used it a couple of times. But I had two and a half hours to get this bread made in. And so that was it, because our camp meeting was starting next week, and I had a, this was my only chance. I had a lot of work to do that week. So as I'm, I rush home, I'm telling God, help me get this made today and all the other things i got to get done today, Lord. And I'm glad I could help so-and-so. And then I rush into the kitchen. I pull out this equipment, and I notice the, the dough hook on, on the bowl won't move. I don't know. Um, maybe we'll put this like this. I couldn't get the dough hook to move, and I, was that you? No, that wasn't you. You, that's it. And then, can you pass that back to that lady back there? And was there somebody else? Oh, it was you? I'm sorry. Um, I couldn't get the dough hook to move, and I'm there kind of muttering under my breath, God, you know, I've got two and a half hours to get this bread made, and this thing won't work right, and I don't know what to do. Right then, I noticed my little boy looking at me with these big eyes. I thought, oh, this is a bad example, you know, muttering away at God, and, then I thought, ha, little guy, God's going to hear his prayers, right? So I said, hey, Zach, you know we need bread. And he says, yeah, I know we need bread, Mommy, because I, you know, I, we'd been without it for a whole day. I, I refused to go to the store and buy it because I had this expensive equipment I had bought, saved up money for. And so I said, Zach, would you pray that God will make this thing move so we can have bread? And he says, okay, Mommy. So he prays. We, we knelt down by this bowl, and then I prayed to kind of double the effort. And then you know what? I went to use it, and it still wouldn't move. And I'm there trying to figure out, God, what am I going to do with this? Right then, my husband came in the kitchen. He was home working on a sermon for a camp meeting. And he says, what's the matter? So I told him the problem. He says, hey, no problem. He says, I'll grab the bowl. You want to get a hand out there? <laughs> Sorry, that's my fault. I'm trying. <laughs> we can move it closer to the door. Um, I'm sure it's very intimidating walk in and people all staring at you. It's intimidating for me being down here. Okay. So he grabs the bowl. He tells me to grab the dole hook. And he, we're going to pull this thing apart. And, and all he does is slide me across the kitchen floor. Being the unmechanical man that he is, he went back downstairs to his study to work on his sermon. And... I'm there with this thing, and I finally I'm down on the floor with it, and I put my feet on the edge of the bowl, and I'm pulling on this dough hook going, God, i got to get this thing apart. I don't know why it doesn't move. Now, don't worry. If you come to my house and eat my bread, I've sterilized the bowl. You'll be fine. But I'm, all this time this happening, I'm getting this thought, tap the metal part, the top of the dough hook, with a hammer. And I'm thinking, I can't do that. If I do that, I might break something, and I paid too much money for this. And I never thought to ask, God, are you speaking to me? Because at that time, I didn't really realize how, that he does. And I turned it upside down, though, and saw there were screws in the bottom. I thought, you know, maybe if I undo those screws, that wouldn't hurt anything. I could see what was wrong. And so, so I got it out on the counter. I was with a screwdriver going like this when I looked at the clock. And I go, oh, no, I'm late to pick up my other son from school. And so I leave everything on the counter, and I jump in the car, and I race over to the school to get my son. And I'm, as I'm going there, you know, I'm sitting calm and quiet in the car. It's like the Holy Spirit just starts speaking to me. Janet, what were you telling your prayer partner this morning? You felt so pious about it. You were helping her, telling her to praise God and her problem with her husband. And here you are, a simple little problem with your bread machine, and you're carrying on like it's the end of the world. I felt so bad. So when I got back home, I went upstairs to our kitchen there, and the stuff's laying on the counter. And I just kind of leaned over it, and I said, okay, God. I choose to surrender this whole mess to you. I choose to praise you. I don't care if I can't make bread. I'll go buy it at the store. I just want to be at peace with you. And as I'm saying that, this name comes into my mind, Dave Woodruff. And I'm thinking, why am I thinking about Dave Woodruff? Well, he was one of our pastors in our conference. And Dave was very mechanical. And his wife owned the same machine. I thought, wow, Dave could fix my problem. But then I realized... You know, Dave lived over two, two hours away or so. There's no way I could get there and get back and make the bread. I'd be out of time. And so as I'm thinking all this, Jerry comes back in the kitchen. He says, I've got to run over to our academy, which was eight minutes away, for a, a meeting. I said, oh, who's your meeting with? And he says, Dave Woodruff. I said, Dave Woodruff, I'm going with you. And I grabbed up that equipment, and I followed him in my car over there. 
and I showed Dave the problem. And do you know that within five minutes or less, this guy had the problem fixed? And do you know how he fixed it? You're awake, yeah. He tapped it with a I'm telling you what, our God has got a sense of humor. He has got a sense of humor. He's always telling me, Janet, will you lighten up? You get too worried about these things intense. I'm in control. And I didn't get bread made that day. I actually had to go make buy it at the store. But I learned a really valuable lesson in what happened. But, but in sharing that, you know, so much we're constantly telling God how big our problems are. When we need to start telling our problems how big our God is. We need to be in God's word and claiming and, and those promises and saying, this is my God. He can take care of this thing. Lord, I'm going to thank you for how you're going to take care of this situation. Lord, I want to thank you for what you've allowed to happen in my past. You know, that may make you angry. You may think, no way can I thank God for what he's allowed to happen to me in the past. For some of you, you may have had some pretty traumatic experiences. And you may not be able to. But I've just found in my life that as I do, it unleashes his power. I had something happen many years ago now that really helped me to see the difference it makes. I was previously married. My first husband was also a minister. We hadn't been out of school very long. We'd actually interned one place. We moved to our first district. We'd been there two and a half months or so. And we were living in an apartment building. He'd been out visiting and doing whatever pastors do all week. And he says, I've got to stay home today and work on my sermon uh, for camp meeting, not camp meeting, for, for the church service that Sabbath. And he said, I'm going to go for a run first. And so he goes for a run and he comes back. He, it's a hot, muggy July 3 day. And he says, I'm going to go for a swim in the pool. I'm so hot. Well, our little toddler said, me go too, daddy, me go too. So he grabbed him up and off to the pool they went. And I stayed behind because I needed to do some cooking and and so I'm trying to do that when suddenly I hear my little toddler at the patio door banging on it, crying. And I go and I said, what's the matter, Tyson? Where's Daddy? And he says, Daddy won't up, won't up. And so I grabbed him up. I marched over to the pool, ready to get after my husband for leaving this little guy who can't swim all alone while he's swimming at the deep end of the pool. But I get there to find this crowd of people standing around the deep end of the pool. I parted through them and said, what's the matter? And I saw my husband lying at the bottom of the pool. So I immediately, you know, dove in to, to pull him out. And I don't know if you've ever had anybody close to you. I don't imagine you're married, but no, I don't know if the rest of you are. But your mate, especially your husband, they're big and strong. They're your very life. They, they're a part of you. And suddenly, to pull this lifeless shell out of the water, as I'm trying to pull him out of the water, this thing that adrenaline always kicks in, uh-uh, it isn't true. I couldn't get him out of the water. But I kept thinking, this is a nightmare. This is a nightmare. I know this isn't real. This isn't going to happen to me. It's not a part of my life plan. You know, we just got through school. We're going to serve the Lord together in the ministry. I've got a little boy. Grab a hand out there. I, I've got a little boy. You know, there's no way he's going to let him die. I am so thankful in the, in the emergency room when the, the coroner or doctor came out and he said, there's nothing we can do. He's gone. I am so thankful for God's word. At that time, I couldn't even tell you where the verse was found. And now you hear it said all the time. It's made on plaques on walls. But it was all things work together for good. All things work together for good. And I just started saying that out loud. All things work together for good. And I am so thankful because I don't know how many months before, we had attended a seminar where the speakers were talking about something totally different, but suddenly before they ended, they decided to talk about praising God in all things, in all trials. And as I listened to them, you know, going, uh, I'm a little, I don't know about this. I don't think so. But we went home and started studying it and praying about it and started trying it. And we found it really did make a difference in our lives. You know, we just kind of jokingly do it. We had a flat tire on our little rusty VW, and the bolts are rusty, and he can't get the tire off, and he's in a suit. He's sweating. It's hot, and I'm leaning out the window. You're praising God for the flat tire, Mike? Huh? And, you know, he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But then I worked really hard to make something. I don't remember pie or what it was. And I'm trying to get it out of the oven over to the table, and I'm, I'm clumsy. My mother, even now, won't let me take food to the table when I'm at her house. But I tripped and fall, and, you know, and he's going, are you praising God for that? And so we were teasing each other, which probably wasn't so good. But we were just testing it with God, and we found it really did make a difference. So as much as I loved my husband, 
I chose to start saying, God, I choose to praise you for what's happened. I don't understand it. I don't want this. This isn't part of my life plan. But Lord, I want to be surrendered to you. And we had um, that, that night, the first person to show up was my brother. It was between midnight, one o'clock in the morning. And we went into my room and we had this king-size waterbed. And he laid down on one side and I laid down on the other. And I said, will you just talk to me? till I fall, fall asleep, because when I try to close, close my eyes to go to sleep, the horribleness of seeing my husband, that lifeless, you know, shell comes back. He promptly fell asleep on me. <laughs> he was also a minister, and he'd been working really hard and was exhausted. So I got up and went into the other room where my little toddler was in a double bed and crawled in bed next to him. And I shut my eyes, and just the horribleness of it came back. And I, so I said, God, I choose to thank you, praise you, for whatever reason you've allowed this in my life. I said, but Lord, I think I need sleep. I've got to face church members tomorrow, because the previous pastor had been killed in a terrible car wreck just, I don't know, six months or so before. So the, the church members were absolutely devastated. I said, I've got to make decisions, whatever. I think I need sleep. And before I could hardly get that prayer out, I was feeling like I was being held. I just felt these arms come around me and just this peace come over me. And I slept the whole night long. Now, I wasn't taking any medication. I'd had a, a doctor offer that, and I said, no, no, I don't want to take anything. But as I started to wake up in the morning, I thought, wow, this is a nightmare. You know, I, I know it's a nightmare because it's not a part of my life plan. I know God wouldn't do this. And I reached out for my husband, but it was my little boy there. And I... Uh, knew, you know, it was for real. The day, the day it had happened, the day before, I had called, when I called my parents and told them, they had said, uh, don't do anything till we get there. They lived three states away. We were in Georgia. They were in Maryland. And I think that's three states. Anyway, <laughs> I said, okay, I won't do anything. I don't know what they thought I was going to do. We owned a, a rusty VW and a canoe. And, you know, what am I going to do? But they were worried I was going to get too expensive a funeral plan or something. So I was being the obedient daughter, and in the apartment, I couldn't do anything else. I'm pacing back and forth. My brother's sitting on the couch, and I'm thinking about all the good times Mike and I had had together, the people we'd seen one to the Lord, giving Bible studies, all the backpacking and hiking trips, and, you know, uh, cross-country ski trips. And my little boy had had by him. I just was thanking God for all these wonderful years we'd had, you know, the, not that many years, but the time we'd had together and all that had happened. And as I'm doing that, my brother decides to point out the fact, he says, you know, he's dying a young man. You're probably going to die an old woman. How's he, you're going to recognize each other in heaven. How's he going to find you? So I quickly turned, you know, in the New Testament where it says, we'll be changed in a twinkling of an eye. I said, look what it says here. And he says, okay, if you're changed, how's he going to recognize you? <laughs> and I, I decided, Mike had this crazy backwards kind of walk he did. I said, God will never take that away from him. I said, that's how I'm going to find him in heaven. We go there. But as we're doing this, and I'm pacing back and forth, I have this urge to pick up the devotional book and read it for that year. It was printed that year. It was This Day with God. It's put together from Ellen White's writings. And I just, I didn't want to read. You know, I, I want to talk about my husband. And, and I just never thought to ask, are you telling me to read this, God? Do you know that God will speak to you? He does. I, but I didn't know it then. I didn't think to even ask. And so I didn't pick it up and read it. That was July 4. Well, we ended up having a memorial service, and we ended up flying his body to Wisconsin because his parents wanted me to bring him home and, and to bury him on their property up there. And so when we came back, my parents and my brother stayed a while to help me pack up because there was no point. I hadn't lived there that long, no point in staying. And, but the, the funeral service, the memorial service, yes, it's okay to weep. Yes, it's okay to cry. We miss our loved ones. But we, as Seventh-day Adventists, have a blessed hope. We have something to rejoice about. And so we made that, that, that funeral and the memorial service a time of praise. We sang songs about the blessed, the, blessed, the second coming and about Jesus and, and what he's done for us. Yes, it's okay to weep, but we have something that a lot of people don't have. And we had people from that apartment all coming to that, that memorial service. And what a chance it was to be a witness for them. But my parents, brother, they all flew back with me. They helped me pack up the apartment. But then they said, we got to get back to work. And I had one place to pack up yet. It was a garage where we had things in storage. And things, you know, had been pulled out of the boxes and all. And 
so the morning before going, and I had to do it right away because the mover was coming to move me. But the morning before going, I mean the morning of going, I decided, you know, to have my devotions and read in the Word, and then I decided to read this book. It was now July 14, and as I read it, it was so good that I kept reading it, page after page, because really was enjoying it. Maybe too, I was procrastinating because I hate to pack, but I finally got to July 18 and 19, and I looked at the clock, and I thought, whoa, I've got to, you know, quit here because i got to go get packed up. The mover's going to come, and he's not going to be happy with me if I'm not ready. So I, it was so good that I, I wanted to come back to it. And so I took it at July 18 and 19 and turned it like this and put it on the end table by my bed so I could come back and read it that night. And I left it there, grabbed my little toddler, and off to the garage we went to pack things up. And I get in there, and I just become overwhelmed with how much I miss my husband because he was his sporting good stuff, you know, tools, just all kinds. Not that I made him keep all his things in the garage, but it was just a lot of things about him that reminded me of him. And, and as I'm starting to pack him up, I'm going, why, God? Why? Why would you let him die? He's so young. He just got through with school. We're starting the ministry together. We've got a little boy to raise. God, what am I supposed to do with my life now? No, why, God? And I just kept all day long asking. And that night when I got back home, I, my little guy was asleep, and I carried him in, put him in his bed. And I just went in my room and just flopped across the bed, and I'm crying, just sobbing. And this urge comes over me, pick up that devotional book and read it. And I'm thinking, I don't want to read it. I'm miserable. I want to cry. So I kept crying. And just that urge would not leave me alone. Pick it up and read it. And as I'm doing that, I'm thinking, you know, I'm pretty well cried out. I've been crying all day. It's getting kind of boring crying. That book was really pretty good. I think I will pick it up and read it. So I, I'm the kind of person, I'm pretty much an only child. I have a brother four years older. Picked it up because I knew where I'd left it. I wanted to keep reading it. But it was no longer there at July 18 9. When I picked it up, it was at July 4 and 5. And I thought, who's been in here? Who's touched my book? But I realized nobody's been in here. And my little guy was asleep when we came in. And, and you know, if, if he'd have done anything, he'd have knocked it on the floor and not left it in another place. My eyes fell on July 4. July 4 says, Jesus cares, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you, 1 Peter 5, 7. And then in that first paragraph, it says, God, your heavenly Father, will be your husband at hand to counsel, to direct, and comfort as you need. Then it quotes Lamentations 3.33, For he does not afflict willingly nor grieve the children of men. God does not want to do bad things to us. On down, it, 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 as I read that part, I'm thinking, wow, why was this written? Because I'd noticed in this particular book it would, would tell why things were written. And I looked on down at the bottom. It said, letter 42, July 4, 1875, to a sister who had recently lost her husband. I thought, whoa, to someone who just lost her husband. And then near the end it said, cling to his hand, hold fast, he will take you, your children, all your griefs and burdens if you will only cast them all upon him. How does God do that? Did, did he zap it? Did he send an angel in there to turn it to those pages? I don't know how he did it, but I know he did it. We serve an incredible God that is there for us no matter what's happening in our lives. My parents had uh, moved to, to Maryland, I don't know, nine months before or so, and they were building a new place in a subdivision, and they had a choice of a two-bedroom, a three-bedroom, or four-bedroom, the floor plans. Well, they were going to go with a two-bedroom because there was just the two of them now. My brother and I had left, you know, been gone from home, and, but they had this urgency, build a four-bedroom, build a four-bedroom. They thought, well, that's poor stewardship. We need to put the money in God's work, not build a four-bedroom house. But this urgency wouldn't leave them alone. And so they, they built the four-bedroom house, but they were embarrassed. They wouldn't even tell anybody they had this four-bedroom house until, you know, people came over. But nine months later, Mike dies, and then they knew why they had a four-bedroom house. It was, a, you know, better for my son, one for me, dad to have a study, and, and for their bedroom. I'm telling you, even before you know you got a problem, God's already working on the solution. That's our God. He is so big. What he'll do? We had a life insurance policy. I'd always heard growing up, you've got to have life insurance. You never know. I'd hear these horror st stories of people who didn't have life insurance and how the husband dies and they're abandoned. You know, the kids and the wife are terrible, starving to death. And so I knew I had to have, when my little guy was born, I had to have life insurance. So I pushed my husband into getting a life insurance policy. We couldn't afford it. We were still in school at the time, or he was in school. 
but we got this life insurance. Well, I always thought once you get out of college and working full time, you got lots of money. Well, I was kind of surprised that it's not much different. And <laughs> at least back then, that was a while ago. So I, I chose, I really chose, I wanted to stay home with my baby. I did not want to go to work and let somebody else enjoy seeing him grow up. And so I said, I've got to figure this out because we're going, you know, we're starting to go into debt. So I started, went through the budget one day, cut out everything I could think of, garbage collection, newspaper, live on beans and rice, you know, just cut everything out. Then I came to that life insurance policy. I thought, wow, if I cut that out, we could make it if we're really, really careful each month. And my husband didn't want it anyway. And at that time, it was really popular, these books talking about in the New Testament where it says, be submissive to your husbands. And I thought, maybe it's because I haven't been submissive. I pushed him into it. That's why I've got this problem. So when he came home, I told him, you know, if I cut this and this and this out, in fact, this life insurance policy, we could make ends meet and I can stay home. He says, do it. I told you before when you first got it. I don't need that. I'm going to be translated. You know, I, Jesus is coming. He said, get rid of it. I can't wait till I see him in heaven. I have something to tell him. Because <laughs> it wasn't too much longer, six, seven months or so after canceling that policy that he dies. And... We, the, the day before my parents left, after helping me pack up in the apartment, we're sitting on the couch that night, and Dad says to me, Janet, I don't know how you're going to make it for the future, but at least you got that life insurance policy to tide you over for a while. And I had to look at Dad, and I said, Dad, I don't have it. And he just came off the couch. He gets excited like I do. He says, what? He said, and I told him I canceled it. We couldn't afford it. And he says, well, why did you tell me? My, your mom and I, we'd have carried it for you for a while. We both work. And I ran into the bedroom crying. And I knelt down by my bed and I said, God, Lord, I've been trying to live for you. We're trying to be in the ministry for you. I'm trying to stay home and raise my little boy the way you've told me to. God, I really think this is your problem. Do you know what started happening? All over the country, the U.S. and Canada, as people heard that Mike had died, they started sending me money. Kids we'd been in college with. Kids I knew couldn't afford to do it were sending me large amounts, and I'd send it back, and they'd send it back and say, look, God told us to, you keep it. We don't want that money back. <laughs> but it was coming to me from everywhere, and I never added it up, though. You know, I'd always, I had written it down, everything that had come into me, because I was so grateful for what God had done. And it's hard to be a, what do you call it, a receiver. It's easier to be a giver. But it was just an amazing miracle what God had done. But one day, it was about a year later, I'm having that time with God, worship time. All of a sudden, I get this urge, add up what's come into you in the last year. And I'm thinking, that's really rude. Here, I'm trying to spend time with God. You need those distractions when you're trying to spend time with God. And I'm thinking, no, I got to focus on reading his word. And so I'm trying to read his word. And just that urgency, add it up. So finally, I'm still at the point where I'm not realizing God's speaking to me. And so finally, I added up. I get out that journal, and I start adding up all that had come into me. And do you know that it added up to the very penny that life insurance policy was worth? I'm telling you, you've got a God. You don't got to worry about your future. He's got a plan. He's going to take care of you. All you need to do is know him. Spend that time with him. He will take care of you. Because, you know what it says in, in Corinthians talks about the God of all comfort is the title, and at least in the NIV uses that, the God of all comfort. And in there it talks about that, that God comforted Christ in his trials, that Christ comforted us so we can comfort others. You know what I'm talking about? God desperately needs people who go through severe trials or any kind of trials that will still choose to love and serve him because he needs you to witness to this world. He needs you. I have women say to me, you mean you still love God? I'm talking to a woman. Her husband's just died. And she's looking at me. You mean you still love God? She says, that gives me hope. I, don't, I can't talk to him right now, but you give me hope it can. You'll have a ministry. If you're, you've got whatever it is you've suffered through, God wants to use that. Devil's meant it for harm in your life. He does it for harm. But God wants to use it for good for you to bring healing and hope and help to people who are going through severe trials or have gone through them. Because of that, you know, he's given me a ministry with that. And this one woman, she, her husband got put in jail. She had no idea that he was um, embezzling money. And 
she says to me, what am I going to do? I work minimum wage and I, I don't have any help now. And I said, I don't know. I said, but she and I had prayed through the years and talked about praising God and all things. So it was easy to take her there. And uh, we started, Lord, we choose to praise you for this trial. We don't understand it and how she's going to make it financially because minimum wage just doesn't cut it in California. And she um, started, I told her, start journaling and writing things down as your requests and what God does because you're going to need it to look back on when times are hard. And so she started trying to do that. But you know, the first thing, within a day of us starting to do this, she calls me up all upset. My hot water tank just broke. She said, it's flooding the floor. Do you know what it's like to be without hot water? I have no money. How am I going to fix this? And I'm going, I don't know, but let's ask, because I was also teaching her that God will be your heavenly father. Because remember what it said in here, God will be your heavenly father? That's the other thing I love about God's word. As many times as you read it, I don't know how it is with you, but I'll forget things that are there. But yet when you're in the midst of a problem, a crisis, and you spend that time, you open his word, those scriptures will pop out at you just what you need right now. And I'm just amazed at how scriptures started popping out at me that God is a husband to the widows and a father to the fatherless. How does he do that? But he's done it. He does it to Jerry too. He does it over and over again, just leads you to those right scriptures. And so I started, uh, one of them that I really love is, is uh, Isaiah 54, 4 through 5, the last part of 4. It says, the reproach of your widowhood you will remember no more for the, your husband is your maker whose name is the Lord of hosts. And I'd start teaching these women, God will be your husband. You got a problem, you ask your husband in heaven what he's going to do about it. And choose to praise him for whatever trial problem you're going through. So she started doing that. You know, within 24 hours, God had a neighbor knock on her door and say, you know, I got this extra hot water tank that doesn't fit. Do you need one by chance? <laughs> How many people come to your door with an extra wa hot water tank? And it happened to be the perfect fit. And, you know, didn't cost her because she had no money. And, but, you know, there'd be other trials, other problems, and we'd keep trying to pray with her and, and encouraging her to praise God, write down, and she'd see God work. But you know what's going on inside of me? It was, oh, God, are you going to come through for her? You know, you say you will, but are you going to? Of course, I didn't tell her that, but God kept coming through. And she's, instead of going up and down like this, as, as she spent more time with God each day, she just started going up in her experience. But one day I walked by her office, and as I'm going by her office, I stopped and I said, how's things going? And she goes, and looks at me, she says, terrible, it's awful. And I said, what do you mean? What's the matter? Because, I mean, she'd been doing so well. She said, my electricity got turned off. She said, I didn't have enough money to pay it. She said, and, and then anonymously, somebody sent me the money and it got turned off a second time. Because I was $5 short. That's yay PG&E in California. <laughs> and she said, do you know what it's like to be without electricity? She said, it's horrible. And I said, well, only when I go backpacking or, you know, but she said, well, it's terrible. You know, you, everything's cold and it's dark at night. And I, because I knew her well, I would not do this with just anybody. But because we talked a lot about praising God in all things, I said to her, but I made sure I stepped back away from her desk when I said it. I said, if God doesn't want you to have electricity, if God, your husband in heaven, doesn't want you to have electricity, then you don't need it. But I got out of the way because she came out swinging, literally came out swinging. And, but then we, we prayed together about it. But she also said, pray with me about tomorrow. I have mediation court. The people who put her husband in jail for embezzling this money thought she had the money. She says, I didn't know anything about it. She says, I have no money. You know, I'm making it day to day. So we prayed about that. And I said, no, I'll, I'll keep praying about it tomorrow. Well, the next day was this mediation court. That night, she calls me at 5 o'clock, and the first words out of her mouth was, I am so glad my electricity was turned off. And I'm going, oh, no, she's finally cracked. You know, it's just been, <laughs> it's, it's been too much. You know, it's just too much. She couldn't handle anymore. And I hesitantly said, uh, why are you glad your electricity was turned off? She said, well, I'm in this mediation court. I'm in one room with my lawyer. The people who are after me are in another room with their lawyer, and this mediator's going back and forth between the rooms. She said, it's going on for hours. And I finally said to the, to the um, there's handouts right there on the table. I finally said to the, uh, my lawyer, how long is this going to take? And he says, why? What, what do you got to do? What difference does it make? And she said, well, I need to go home and tie up my dogs. And he said, why? So PG&E can come and turn my electricity back on because God had again provided her the money, which, by the way, I had not done. Somebody anonymously had. And 
and he said, why did your electricity get turned off? And he finds out it gets turned off twice. She tells him the whole story. So the mediator comes in. He takes him over to the side, and he said, this lady's electricity's been turned off twice. She really has no money. He says, you mean she really has no money? No, she has no money. They go back, and they tell the people that, and it dissolved the whole case. They gave it up. So I don't know what's going on in your life, but if your electricity gets turned off, Start praising God. Thank you, man. Seriously, God's about to do a mighty thing. So many times in our lives, we choose to thank God and praise Him for what we think are blessings. And those trials and problems, uh-uh, we're not going to thank Him for those when those turn out to be the biggest blessings in our life. As a Christian, we have a choice. We can either... How many of you have been to New York City? I, I don't know in Tennessee if they have this. I've forgotten. It's been a long time since I lived there. But in New York, you've got sewers underneath the sidewalks, under the streets. And it's mucky. It's dark. It's damp. It's, it's smelly down in there. Or you've got on the sidewalk, you can be up in the sunshine. I don't know if New York City's got sunshine, but sunshine and, and flowers. And as a Christian, we've got a choice. We can either be complaining and miserable down in that muck and sewer and mire or we can be up on the sidewalk in the sunshine, praising God and rejoicing in Him. It makes such a difference. And I guess I need to, to close here. But, oh, I'm not supposed to quit at 3. I'm supposed to quit at 10 of, aren't I? I'm sorry. I forgot. Well, I will quit. But just know that in order to go through those trials and problems, only way I can do it is if I stay in God's Word, knowing my God and Savior the kind of God he is. You just bow your heads with me for a moment. Lord, I pray for these precious people. Father, I don't know what's going on in their lives, but I pray, Lord, your Holy Spirit will show them how much you love them. And Father, that you can teach them to turn to you in those trials and problems and give you thanks and praise, that they will trust you, that you're taking care of them. Thank you, Father. And just quickly help them get to their next seminar. In Jesus' name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.